0: Ordinary Voices is sponsored by RCL Worship Resources. RCL Worship Resources is creating dynamic, inclusive, progressive, grace Center resource material designed to transform your congregation's worship experience. Their team of gifted writers and editors are creating worship materials to support congregations and leaders. Visit rclworshipresources.com. They're here to make your worship planning experience creative, easy, and fun. rclworshipresources.com. Worship that works for you. An expedition is an excursion, a journey or a voyage made for some specific purpose. My guest, Will Steger, is known for his Arctic and Antarctic expeditions. But his whole life has been a journey made for a specific purpose, like the time he was headed up to Ely, Minnesota to work on his cabin.
1: I was literally leaving the city in 1970 to, to move up here. I didn't have a car. And I had fought forest fighters in Alaska that summer, had a thousand bucks in my pocket. I was hitchhiking after my, one of my brother, younger brothers, Jim, and um, we had a chainsaw and a case of dynamite. <laughs> and we were on the freeway hitchhiking. We were actually at the Stacy exit. There, there was no nobody at the, you know, there wasn't right. a, anything there. And so we were, we were down the, on the highway and the cop stopped us and pissed off, bothered with us hitchhiking. And, and told us, you know, to get up there on the ramp, and if he saw us again, he would arrest us. So we went up, and we waited, you know, a couple hours. Until no real cars came, and we were starting to inch our way back to the freeway, and then down the road, there was a dirt road Then we saw a cloud of smoke, and we could hear this rusty car squeaking and a pickup truck, and it was coming down towards us. We didn't know if it was going to stop, but he was trying to brake, and the car wasn't quite braking, and then he made the turn in and picked us up. And it was a guy by the name of Tim White, who was, uh, turned out to be um, a real world-famous dog musher. Okay. Uh, he was just getting into dog. He, he was in Vermont. He'd been racing for like four years. And he, he came back to his roots in Minnesota to, um, you know, to, to make, make his life around dogs. So Tim, on the way up, uh, uh, all the way up, I had a zillion questions about dogs.
0: Two guys walking down the highway with a $1,000 cash, a case of dynamite, and a chainsaw. And the cop was pissed off because they were hitchhiking on the highway? (laughs) Oh, the good old days. Where have they gone? But here's our first lesson on leadership. Keep your heart open to the unexpected path. Life is often shaped by a random encounter, something which comes at us from completely out of the blue. Will Steger was pursuing a dream of living on the land when he met Tim White, introduced him to dog sledding. He didn't know it at the time, but that chance encounter reshaped his life and his dreams. It led him to become an arctic explorer. You can plan your future, but your future plans are limited. They don't allow for those random encounters, so keep your heart open to the unexpected path. Essatif in einer Bar, mitten in der Wüste. Lessig stand sie da. Die Männer sahen ihre Puste. Essatif in einer Bar. This is Ordinary Voices, inviting ordinary people into conversations about life and faith. I'm your host, Eric Ilkin. I created this podcast to help me, a pastor, better understand people and the way they view the world. Now I'm inviting you into the conversation, so together we might listen. Listen for the extraordinary stories dwelling inside every ordinary voice. In this show, things kind of get turned around. Today I'm talking with an extraordinary voice in hopes of learning wisdom to share with ordinary people so one day they might become extraordinary leaders. So let's begin today's show. Expedition Leadership. Will Steger is more than famous. He's an historic figure. He's one of the last great explorers of the 20th century. Amelia Earhart explored flight. Jacques Cousteau explored the seas. Will Steger, Robert Perry, and Roland Amundsen explored the Arctic regions. In 1986, Will made the first confirmed journey to the North Pole without resupply. Then again in 1988, he made the longest unsupported dog sled traverse of Greenland, a record that has since been broken. In 1989-90, he led the first successful attempt to cross the Antarctic. Then five years later, made the first and only dog sled crossing of the Arctic Ocean. You can learn more about Will's personal story by listening to Part 1, Life as an Explorer, on the Ordinary Voices podcast. But the specific purpose of this conversation is to learn about Will Steger's approach to leadership in hopes of passing on his knowledge to summer camp staff to better equip them to be future leaders. Truth is, these lessons are not limited to the young. They apply to anyone willing to listen. This professional development initiative was created by Joel Aventh, the Executive Director of Voyager Lutheran Ministry in Cook, Minnesota. He was responding to a request from leaders at Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd in Duluth, who funded the program through a church grant. The congregation desired to give camp staff the tools needed to continue their professional development beyond summer. We are talking while sitting on the deck of a cabin Will started to build when he was 19 years old. It's been his primary residence ever since. It looks over a small lake outside of Ely, Minnesota, and rests on the edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area in northern Minnesota. It allows Will to see his next big project, the Center for Global Leadership. And this is one of the first things you learn about Will Steger. Since the age of 12, until now at age 75, there's always a new project on the horizon. But they're more than projects, they are dreams. As Will spoke to us around a campfire, he told us following one's dream is part of being alive.
1: Dreams are very important. Uh, I mean, part of being alive is, 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 is being able to dream, but, uh, and dreaming is great, but there's a lot of dreamers, but there's a very few doers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the person that has that dream and puts that do to do it, make it, make it happen. It's the process of making it happen. We're so talking about looking for the land. You know, I have this intent. And that's, what, and that's why people go, oh, how do you find this land? Well, you know, you know I I'm, I'm made of, you know, a little effort. <laughs> and I <I'm just laughs> knocked on the door. They said no. And so I just, I just kept pulling, pulling out And eventually, you know, things happen like that. So
0: here's our second lesson. Leaders do their dreams. Dreams are part of being alive. If this is true, and I believe it is, Will's observation that everybody dreams, but very few do their dreams, is kind of haunting. It means many people are not living to their fullest potential. Leaders dream so those who are unable to do their dreams can find life, and people are hungry for life. Listening to Will, I realize dreams themselves are expeditions. It took Will 42 years to realize his dream of exploring the Arctic on sled. Whether it is a personal dream or a corporate dream, do not get paralyzed by the present circumstances. Be patient and enduring with your dreams. They will give you life. Will made a lifelong friend while working at Outward Bound. Outward Bound is an experiential learning experience which helps people develop character, leadership skills, and service to others by engaging them and unique challenge opportunities.
1: Duncan Starley was a incredible ski instructor. He was a river rafting guide in the Colorado in the summer. And uh, him and I really bonded. He was, he was originally from Minneapolis, too. It was back when the winters were really cold. And, um, and both those winters, I, I lived outside in the winter for 12 years, you know, from December right up to April with a little bit in maybe for the holidays. But I, I basically lived in the woods around fire. And uh, so Duncan and I would, you know, what we would talk about is the school we'd do and how we would do it. Right. And um, and we went into a lot of detail and and, uh, and we put a lot of thought into it. And then I left Outward Bound and then he, he left at the same year. And I didn't immediately start my school. I kind of bounced around for about a year and a half. And then I came back, and uh, I called Duncan up. And um, I could see by his voice he was a little, uh, he had a a a wife and a child, and uh, he was kind of chafing at the bit a little bit. So I said, "Dunk," I said, you know, we talked about that school, how about doing the dog sled school? And he thought, and he said, Willie, let's do it. So that that was the beginning of it. And then Tim leased us out four dogs, me four dogs, Duncan had her four. So when we did our early courses, we combined our two little teams that first year to do do the courses, and then but then the dogs from there on the dogs. um, It was a way of uh, livelihood. Livelihood was very important to me all the way through my life of doing what your calling is, but making your living at it and just doing it as your way of life. And uh, the livelihood is re it's almost the bottom line I think for. uh, It's
0: interesting you you know something you do this a lot. Notice this in your talking. You talk uh, kind of in religious terms about your your yeah. your life. It's, it's a vocation. Yeah, yeah. it's a calling. Yeah. Uh, I just find that I mean that fascinating. I mean, it doesn't like I, you, I, it d- I tread on it lightly, but but, but, uh, <laughs>
1: right. but, but but like like in our our circles, you you know, right? You know, but I, I do. It's about I always talked about doing service. Right. I spent time in a Zen monastery, but it was very influ- I was always Zen. I was doing exactly what a Zen monastery is. It, but then the monastery. Uh, I really—it uh, was a very important time for me there, and uh, and that—that's where I kind of got the message. I knew about livelihood, but it was real to do your service. You got to do—you got to really. Your, your livelihood could be working in the post office forty right. hours, and then you got your free time. Right. Uh, mine was the school in a community,
0: and, right. and teaching. Lesson number three: livelihood is everything. Will was told as a child he could do whatever he wanted, as long as he paid for it. This lesson has never left him. Although to Will, livelihood is something more than earning money, involves service to others, and is connection to one's sense of vocation or calling. The way you make your living is either part of your calling or is funding your calling. Too often, graduates are given the wrong image. They are told to go look for their dream job as though job and dream are one. When they cannot find their dream job, they abandon their dreams. For Will, the dog sled school was a livelihood which funded his calling to explore uncharted areas. Service to others is another theme Will talks about all the time. To him, it needs to be part of one's livelihood. For decades, Will has been working with at-risk youth, bringing them up to Ely to teach them the trades and how to find life in the wilderness. You said something last night too that just really stuck with me. He said, um, "You know, you create your reality, you know, by how you think."
1: Kind of realized that it was, you know, it's really obvious now. But I, I realized that maybe in my later thirties, when I was starting to do the North Pole, where I was really up against challenges. Thoughts have energy, and you project that energy. And um, and you got good, you know. You basically you've got negative, positive. I mean, that's that's the basic choice. Unfortunately, most people get stuck in the positive. It's addictive, positive thinking. And you know, if you don't, you know, and you, you surround yourself with that, it's just like you just create a havoc with yourself and your relationships and everything. Yeah. But, you mean uh, getting
0: caught in negative. Yeah, negative. Yeah, caught in the negatives. So. Real obvious. Uh, yeah.
1: The positive. Uh, it isn't like I'm going to project it and move it like that, but it's it's really the way you, who you are,
0: how you, right, uh, how you project yourself, and um, there's something that when I was driving up here yesterday, I was listening to some 2015 talk you were giving, and uh, you were doing a lot. It was it, there was just a lot of hope and optimism. In your voice about working with government, and we we're kind of got beyond the fighting between science yeah. and yeah. Is that, is that hope and that kind of optimism still there? Or oh, yeah, we, yeah. Are, okay.
1: I mean, the government, um, yeah, I mean, th- this is very, very typical of what we got right now. We've we have um, uh, oh, half the country caught up and hating, just so irritated with Trump, but he got them, they're all negative, nothing's yeah. happening. Right. And uh, and people, you can't move forward. Everybody's negative, and and you, you once you start talking, like people get together, they talk Trump. They just go. The conversation just goes. You know, so, it, it, it doesn't go anywhere good. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying anything about the, the president, but it's the and uh, the personally, I don't, I don't think uh, I think he's a horrible president because he sets a moral, real poor moral example. I mean, he's. I can't believe my. Parents were alive. I don't know. It's a good thing they're dead, baby. You know, they would—they wouldn't be very happy with this guy uh, because of this is moral thing. But uh, but people are so caught up with the Trump thing that uh, you can't do anything. So therefore, nothing really happens.
0: Lesson number four: You create your reality by how you think. Will misspoke in this quote, but we need to give him a break. We spent five hours doing hard labor in the woods before sitting down to talk. This is a lesson, though, that we'll learn in the most extreme of conditions. In situations where positive and negative thinking could literally be the difference between life or death. And is that any different for any of us? Negative thinking is polarizing, paralyzing, and hopeless. It robs us of life. He makes a great point about President Trump. The mere mention of his name changes a conversation from the issue to the man. And frankly, Will models this in our conversation. He stops talking about the power of positive thinking to criticize the man. Every leader needs to know, you create your reality by how you think, and we need people willing to change our reality. I should note, Will did feel genuinely positive about working with government and cited a wonderful working relationship with a former Minnesota governor, Tim Pawlenty. As a leader, on an expedition or working with government, Steger prefers to do his work behind the scenes.
1: You know, a leader is always uh, like expeditions and that. You know, when the food's served, you're in the back of the line all the time. Right. Lead, a leadership is is lonely when when it's tough times because no one wants to hear about you. In fact, you cannot voice you know where you're at or if you're broke and you know you're you're really struggling. You you can't you can't choose the negative side and then that's very counterproductive. But uh, and it's really tough because uh, there's no one there that you can talk to. Right. I'm I'm used to that. I, I, uh, when I was younger, I needed to talk with people and stuff like that, but, and it's really tough when things aren't. When you're, you're calling the shots, like on an expedition, I don't, I, I, uh, my, my style is very democratic. I'm a, I'm a delegator, in fact, maybe to a fault, I'm a delegator, I'm, but I'm proud that it's a fault right. even. I, I like delegating, I like to get the, have the, the best come out of everybody, and that's how I choose the team. I normally, in leadership, what I would like the ideal type of leadership, and what Shackleton did. Uh, Shackleton's leadership was military, and they a lot of people admire his, and they equate that to business leadership. That wouldn't that wouldn't cut water at all these days. Yeah. You're telling people you can't, you know, it's the way it doesn't work. Right. But what he did right in in leadership, he always saw was surrounding himself with great friends and people that he had been with. So it's always best, if you can, like on an expedition, to have one or two, especially two if possible. I had two, John Lee and Victor on the Antarctic expedition that I could confide in. I could argue with them about my decision and, or say I'm going to do this and what do you think. Really best to have confidants like that, that you trust totally. And then if you know if there's going to be a hostile takeover, they're actually they're going to be on your side. Right. So, uh, and that, that does happen. Antarctica was a perfect expedition uh, I mean like the choices uh, to a degree because they were average age of 40 and uh, everyone was knew what they were doing and everybody was settled but if you get younger people especially younger males um, uh, there's a lot of there can be a lot of competition right and then because if you get one bad apple in the sixth then they'll turn the team on you failure in leadership is always communication on the leaders problem i mean it's it, it, everything fails if it fails it's you can trace it right back to communication always and that's the leader's fault the yeah. leader has to communicate right. uh but by communicating also you i mean being always aware of where things are at you're, right. you're just watching and you're paying, you're not judging but you're just you know where people are you're talking to various people right. continually you know testing the waters and being aware of the situation because if you're unaware yeah, you can walk over a cliff, and then all of a sudden, because uh, and then on the all of my major expeditions, there's only been maybe one time or a couple of times, twice on an expedition where I had to yeah, assert my authority. Uh, I'm not I'm not a leader that carries the flag. I don't. I'll, I'm not out front of everybody. I expect everyone to be out front at one time or another. Right. I'm not that type of a leader. I, I don't accept that leader that of a person on the team. Expecting that I'm going to be the follow the leader, type right. thing. I mean, I'll I'll set the example, but I'm not always going to be physically right. Uh, that that that's kind of was that
0: well received by others. Is that? Do you think that was well received by others on your team? Uh, to a mature team. Lesson number five: Leadership is servant leadership. Too often, people equate leadership with power. The power to make decisions and determine the direction. The power to make other people listen to you. Organizations and expeditions are undone by power struggles. Funny, nowhere is this more true than in the church. True leadership is servant-minded and lonely. The only power exercise is often the power needed to subdue your own struggles and be focused on the mission. The leadership style Will describes sounds a lot like a camp counselor. Matter of fact, I truly believe people who use the skills they learned as a camp counselor to lead will be effective and respected leaders.
1: When I solo, and I'm alone, for and I'm in a total rhythm, uh, I do the same thing every day, every day. And I, then I try to refine even to anything I can make simpler. And it's not like I'm a, a meticulous manic, but I I want to be I want to free my mind so I don't have to think about anything. And I love living in that rhythm where it's just it's just the same thing every day, every day. And uh, so I really free my mind. And and uh, what happens, I think, is it's sensitivity. You become uh, hypersensitive, but not in the way of. Uh, 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 a feeling, but it's it's just you're aware of so much stuff in the moment. Mm-hmm. I found that God exists in the moment. God does not exist in the past or the present or, or the past or the future. I mean, it's that's an, that's a contradiction. <laughs> and uh, in that moment, which is talked about a lot, but very hard to do that, and especially when we're living in our heads all the time and we're never really close to the truth or the reality. But uh, but that sensitivity and part of that part of that kind of has to do is is compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you're really truly compassionate, just it's the greatest feeling in the world. Man, it's just like truly compassionate. Not right. not that okay. Like, uh, it's always oh, oh, sometimes like a bank account for people. If I do this, then I'll get this. Yeah. No, no, no. You know? Yeah. If, you say, if you say a rosary, you go to heaven, no, no.
0: That's,
1: <laughs> that's not the way,
0: you know? You think yeah. it's a, I mean, if you think about it, like just think about your campfire talk last uh-huh. night about uh, guilt. If you, if you take that approach to faith or anything of a, of a spiritual life, that uh, if I do this, I'll get this. Yeah. Well then, guilt's kind of inherent in that system, right? Because yeah. you're never going to live up to that yeah. kind of yeah. that that pattern yep. kind of thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Lesson number six: spiritual health is key to leadership. Will describes a routine which helps him simplify life and become more aware. This routine creates a rhythm of life which draws him out to be hypersensitive to the presence of God. When we spoke, Will had just returned from a Canadian solo trip. He described this trip as a spiritual necessity for leading. Again, my mind turns to summer camp staff. One of the things which makes summer camp so powerful for staff is the routine of spirituality. Staff take time to pray, to sing, to worship. The rhythm of it helps them become hypersensitive to the presence of God. When summer ends, the routine ends, and they often feel lost. They express this void as missing camp, when in truth, a large part is missing the spiritual routine. We are genetically wired to be spiritual people. Healthy leaders are spiritually grounded and compassionate. The night before, while talking around the campfire, Will told the summer camp staff it was important they learn to adapt to an unknown future. When I asked him about it, he talked about how he aspires to an unknown future.
1: Most people, they, their whole thing about living is security. You know, it's a job, it's the uh, having money, it's all, all that, all that goes into security. So, uh, most people aspire to security, which is is that's a that's yeah, human to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm almost the opposite of that. Is I. I aspire to the unknown you know uh you know i I like to i like to go into the unknown uh the center here has been the most challenging thing in my whole ever had i mean each year for the last 32 years i you know i didn't know how i would do it i was always in big debt and i still am now and i'm out of money now i don't have any i don't have my 401k is like shot and i don't have resources uh, which is good it's a good place for me because I've got a, I'm, my new, my leadership is finally starting to come about. My new, new people, the people that are stepping forward. And, um, and the center now has to start becoming sustainable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and at, at that stage where we are becoming, I don't have the security of saying, oh, it's sustainable, but yet, but it will be. Uh, and my goal there would be to get this sustainable. Once I know it's going to be sustainable, then I'm going to give everything I own to it. I don't to, I, I never wanted to own all this stuff. I just wanted a, a small taxes and a place and a garden. But uh, but I ended up with supporting the building and that. The building also was a, as a builder and a craftsman. It's been a, just a remarkable exercise. I mean, it was just. It made it all worth it. But but I'm still on that edge. And um, and when I put myself into something, I put everything into it. Mm-hmm. everything where i could just lose a uh, number of my expeditions if i would have failed i would have just been bellied up and back then it wouldn't matter too much because i was younger but you know I, I would hate to lose this place now but i don't think i will uh, but so i i have i've never met a risk taker like myself that will put every i'm i'm not i'm a risk taker but also uh, uh, i'm intuitive and i know you know i know i know uh, i know the Terrain a little bit, but there's no, there's no. uh, Again, it's an unknown. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But, Mm. uh, but so when I do things, I do it. I put everything in it. I don't. People have to have all the security and retirement and all that. But you know, uh, I'm 75 without. I'm not even. I'm not worried about that actually at all. But I, I feel I'm in a good place. Lesson number
0: seven leaders need to aspire to an unknown future. We are taught to strive for security, but security is dangerous. Security leads to complacency. Complacency robs people and organizations of life without realizing it. The healthiest congregations I know take risks. Once they reach a point of security, they find a new risk. The risk keeps people engaged with the mission. It's important to note They don't take risk for risk's sake. But in full awareness, a mission is never fully realized. The risk is always tied to the mission. Here I invite Joel Avent to ask a question of Will. These staff are working with kids, uh, ages 6 to 18, (laughs) And the, they are helping them prepare for an unknown future. You know, yeah. They're going back to so. abusive homes, they're going back to um, mm-hmm. bullying at school and technology and, yep. and all of these pressures and stressors that, you know, that they have. How do we help these counselors, these young adults that are working this doing this work, how do we help them help others?
1: I was re, I'm really impressed with your staff. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> that's, just, that's a group of residents that I want to have from South Africa Norway. That's good to hear. I mean, it's just like, oh, sure my gosh. It was just, I was yeah. so impressed with them. And there, there's so much goodness in these young people. God, they're great people. But your international component is really important. Uh, and, and the uh, what's really great about this younger generation is that they accept each other. It's a little bit of a generalization, but I see it a lot in that younger generation. They're not buying into the materialism as much. Materialism is really the bad evil. Uh, materialism is almost anti-God, because when you're into materialistic, you're outside of yourself, seeking for something that you'll never find a satisfaction, and you only want more. And it makes you really... Uh, not not such a pleasant person sometimes. Living a little more simpler life, or at least uh, aspiring to that simplicity, because uh, I I think that's a very important thing for young people. And a lot of the people I, uh, through Climate Channel we work with, we work with a lot of youth. Mm-hmm. And again, our youth are select because they, they gravitate towards Climate and so forth. And that's it. they don't want to buy a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't want to buy a house, and they're much more communal. I think some of that is uh, daycare. With the daycare, they learn to be—you know—they learn skills that we didn't learn. We just went to—I went to kindergarten. I learned how to tie my shoes, Mm -hmm. and then I I conveniently forgot later on. (laughs) But these kids in kindergarten know how to write, and uh, but they also know how to deal socially and how their differences. I I think it's a a wonderful thing. uh, This younger generation—they have these tools, these social tools. It's almost like dogs. Uh, the dogs here we we could not socialize the dogs because we didn't have pens or anything, so they were on chains. And then the, in the summer they would growl and there'd be chain wars. And then when you hook them up, there'd be these massive fights. But then the way to 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 raise dogs like that with aggressiveness is you socialize them. You put them, if nothing else, put them in a pen for two hours a day, and you do that. You do that, and, you, and they the dogs that socialize in there. They're they're just they're happier dogs. But I, I don't compare uh, young kids to dogs. But it's the social the socializing, the 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 socializing early on is I I think it's a huge advantage to kids. Uh, I wouldn't change anything in my life because I you know I you know I mentioned I, I had that the learning disabilities or whatever and uh, but I I just the way I grew up I think it was perfect. But these kids though they they are. They're different from us, I think, for uh, the, the, their ability to socialize uh, more. Oh, well, I wouldn't. Uh, maybe I wouldn't say that, but they have the opportunity to socialize so much more than we do. I do think they are almost on an evolutionary th- level. They're being prepared for what's coming hmm. because the skills that they have uh, are going to be important.
0: Lesson number eight, do not neglect the power of community. Will is the first baby boomer I've ever heard speak positively about how millennials have been raised, and he's right on the money. Daycare kids are being schooled in how to build and maintain a sense of community. Unlike growing up in a large family, they are taught to problem solve, share, and play with other children by people trained in how to teach these skills. It is part trial and error and part hands-on intervention. I thought Will's comparison to training dogs completely fitting. In my leadership experience, staff who are restricted and isolated, or who isolate themselves, tend to experience more conflict. Yet when socialized, they work together. Humans, like dogs, are social creatures. Effective leaders build a sense of community and understand its value. Will's observation, God is in the moment, was one of the things that stuck with me. It made me think how many times, as a leader and as a pastor, I have spoken about God's acts in the past and the hope of God acting in the future, while neglecting God in the present. God in the present is often the God we most struggle to see. Will has a confidence born out of his childhood experiences. He remembers it and he loves it. His dreams, the things which feed him life, are often some unknown future. But he lives in the present moment in ways most of us do not. Looking for a scriptural connection to what I learned, I turned to Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will hold you with my righteous strong hand. Will's experiences can make the ordinary person like myself feel embarrassed about the struggles in their life. I've never had to dig through 10 feet of impacted snow and 75 below temperature to find food for my survival. I've never had to save a dog from falling into a bottomless crevice. Yet sometimes life feels that way, doesn't it? Our struggles can feel like expeditions without the thrill of adventure. Nowhere is this more apparent than in leaders. Leadership is lonely. Doubt often feels like your most intimate companion. Struggles at home have no place at work. Struggles at work often shape your life at home. It's why spiritual health is so important. If you listen to Will long enough, you'll hear, he doesn't just live in the moment, he lives in that moment with God. It's why he's not afraid. It's why you shouldn't be afraid either, as you head off into some unknown future. Do not fear, for God is with you. Yet only those with eyes to see and ears to hear know it. That is our show. I want to thank Will for sharing, Joel for inviting me into the conversation, Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd in Duluth for their support. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and learned a little something about leadership. Check out the website, ordinaryvoices.org, to follow along. Remember my big three. Subscribe, recommend, and let me know what you feel. This is a listener-supported show, so if you enjoy it, please consider financially supporting it. By clicking the donate button on the website ordinaryvoices.org. I encourage you also to check out rclworshipresources.com, where worship planning is made fun and easy. On behalf of all ordinary voices, thanks for listening, and I look forward to our next conversation. <laughs>